Welcome back in another Talking Mariners podcast. I'm James Osborne, joined with Shannon Dreyer, everyone's favorite Mariners insider, reporter extraordinaire. Shannon, welcome back to Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and to Twitter and everything else. We were hoping that we would do another one of these like about a week after the other. And things got going quickly. I took a couple of weeks off, and I don't do that. And I took them really off, and I unplugged, I think, the most that I've unplugged since the start of Twitter. And it was fantastic. Um, Went back east and spent some time with my dad in Connecticut. And I know I talk a lot about being from the Midwest, but I... My earliest days were spent in the Northeast, so that's that's very much a homecoming anytime I have the chance to get back there. And howdy, I was reacquainted with kind of a phenomenon that I had totally forgotten about. And it's weird because I'm usually back there this time of the year. It's usually season ends, go see Dad. And it's the perfect time to go see Dad because we're going to watch the playoffs together. One year we went to Cooperstown together, you know, autumn, baseball, that kind of thing. It's just absolutely fantastic. But I had forgotten what a hazard acorns are. Acorns? We don't have that problem out here. (laughs) I am not kidding you. It was amazing. And uh, apparently there was, and I think it's going on in the Midwest too. I looked at it a little bit. It is an unusually, um, it's just a barrage of acorns across the Northeast and and the squirrels are happy. We'll no say that kidding. right now. There's a barrage of acorns. Acorns That's a thing. all over, just like, you know, the upper Midwest and and the Northeast right now. And I'd totally forgotten about, you know, they're always fun when you see them and in the crafts and whatnot. But when they fall out of the trees, <laughs> basically you've got these little missiles or marbles that are just pelting everything. Wow. And I remember the first night I slept uh, in, in, in the room at my dad's, and he lives... Um, a little bit in the sticks. He lives above a, a beautiful pond, which is right above the Farmington River, and they've got the big it's the oak trees with the acorns, I think. Or, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's at times you'll see a bear in my dad's yard. You'll definitely see deer, and uh, I sleep with the windows open, and the, the house is kind of up high a little bit, so it's not a problem, but uh, I remember my first night, I'm just hearing all these noises outside. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to check, you know, the motion camera. We got bears tonight. We got deer. Everything's out there. And the second night, I realized it was the acorns falling <laughs> out of the tree. It's just in, in I, I like took some video, and you can actually hear them crashing into things. I'm like, are people injured by these? Are, and they do do damage to cars. And they also, once they're on the ground, are a hazard because they're slick. You, you I'm like, yeah. yeah, we'd go on a morning walk, and you'd have to walk around the pine needles and the acorns. Otherwise, you might twist an ankle. It was amazing. And apparently... It has something to do with the kind of summer they had or the amount of rain that they had. And the, you go to the Farmer's Almanac and they say, oh, it predicts that you're going to have a lot of snow because of all this. And uh, as it is with most fall, Farmer's Almanac stuff, so much of it has been disproved. They, it doesn't, pre- they predict an acorn summer. It, no, well, yeah, which predicts what kind of winter. None of that. Uh, <laughs> none of it carries over. But, man, there were acorns everywhere. And for a solid week, that's all you heard were these things falling out of trees, on cars, on roofs, on the ground, on uh, a shed and it just sounded almost like an explosion every wow. time and if a wind came along you just you heard just nothing but you know the fall of acorns and i i totally had forgotten that we that's not wow. something we have that riveting isn't it that's nuts <laughs> i've been sitting that. on that I'm for about so, 90 seconds I'm so right taking, now okay i'm not uh, taking that out that's <laughs> terrible uh well going from nuts uh let's move on to the uh the baseball playoffs uh we are as we sit now in recording time in the world series yeah between the red sox uh and the braves 
do you have any rooting interest? Do you have any excitement about the series at all? Okay, here's what happened. So we had the best baseball season ever, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm good. so excited about start to finish everything that happened in this wonderful game. And, you know, obviously it would have been better if the Mariners were in the postseason. But the postseason was great, and everything went the wrong way. Everything <laughs> went completely the wrong yeah, way. Yeah. And they were still intriguing series and intriguing games, but all the wrong teams won. And now this is the worst World Series ever. Oh, wow. The worst the ever. The worst World I, Series ever. I like the young talent on the Braves, and I really love Freddie Freeman. He was forever like one of the targets of, I thought, one of the most unsung players in baseball. So for that sake, I can get some rooting interest in there. And I don't feel like the Braves are undeserving of mm-hmm. whatever they get in terms of just how they've built their team and managed their team over time. So I I like the Braves, but I, I see where you're coming from. I certainly don't want the Red Sox. I have no affinity for the Red Sox in any fashion. Not one bit. Oh, I was a fan of them against Houston. I had no problem with that Fair whatsoever. Enough. Fair enough. Whatsoever. That's, this is another, once again, another lesser of two evils situation for so <laughs> many of these series. But the, the playoffs have been fun. Uh, it's it's tough to watch the eighty what eighty nine win Braves. Eighty eight. Eighty eight win yeah. Braves the in the Mariners World Series. Won the that Mariners division. have ninety wins, and right. it's just. Wow. What's been intriguing to me, though, and it'll be interesting if this is a trend, but I think it might be more indicative. I think we finally saw the impact of no full season in 20 with the pitching in the postseason. Yeah. I think it was too much for the starters yeah. in particular. I'm really hoping that this isn't something that lingers into next year, that we sort of see rough starts or guys blowing out their arms to start ramping things back up because next year I would imagine will be the last year where you can say there's impact from the shutdowns and the right. changes in schedules. But I think that is the last shoe to drop in all of this. And uh, it'll inform some of our conversation as we get through in this podcast and talk about where the Mariners could grow the, go this offseason, who could be available, what kinds of moves they could be looking at because pitching is going to be one of those things for sure, particularly starting pitching. So uh, it'll be an interesting conversation we'll get to. Well, and a lot of interesting things in, in the playoffs in that, like Max Scherzer, okay, uh, you know, I don't know how realistic a target he was for the Mariners, although Jeff Passan said, that's your guy, go for him. But now what do you, you know, he comes, he, was that just because of the use this year? He's 37. Is there anything else right there? Uh, your young guns with uh, Houston right now, I, I was so glad to see Framber Valdez blow up last night because mm. if he had actually found it in that last start like he looked like he had, look out. The same mm. thing with Garcia. Where would that velocity come from? Is he going to have that next year? So that's the young pitching that the Astros uh, you know, could elevate them next year, and it's very relevant. But you know, the rest of it, why are they managing every game in the postseason like it's a game seven? It's like why are they not playing for the length of series? Why are you? Yeah, I understand. I think there is a time when you bring a starter in, but that isn't a deciding game. Just the pitching decisions in this have been all over the place. It's really it's a fascinating evolution of how people have been managing pitching staffs in general, and it's playing out now at the highest stage. It it'll be really interesting to watch to see if anybody gets burned by the strategy for sure. Well, they have, but you know how, how much does that carry over? You know, is this really because we talk so much? You've got to have that ace when you get to the postseason. Well. If he can't pitch. <laughs> well, and it was, you know, rapidly heading, and I guess, is there an ace in the postseason right now? I, in, in the World Series? I think we have an aceless World Series. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. That's probably true. And had it been the Red Sox, it's still, is Nathan Avaldi an ace? No. Chris Sale certainly isn't anymore. And we've had the conversation, do you really need an ace anymore? And this is the postseason uh, almost devoid of aces. Yeah. Scherzer, obviously, but... You know, you used your ace as a reliever. Look what happened. 
And, and again, a lot of this, I think, is because of what happened the year before. But I also think that starters in particular in this day and age are so finely tuned in everything they do, you cannot take them out of routine, mm. let alone at the end of a season mm. when you are extending them. I, I, I just think that was absolutely insane. Again, if it's a Game 7 must win, yeah. But uh, I think they overplayed their hands this time. Let's get to some news and notes around the league. The Mariners uh, have been active recently. Uh, Some things that probably won't catch a lot of headlines, but there's some noteworthy background to some of these minor moves as we head into an offseason. Take us through some of the things that have been going on with the Mariners as they uh, trim down and retune their roster. You know, real quick, they made uh, a bunch of uh, 40-man moves because they have to, I think, it's within five days of the World Series. They have to reinstate everybody from the uh, 60-man mm. IL. And then they are going to have a roster crunch. Jerry DePoto uh, absolutely acknowledged that at the end of the season, saying that we are going to have to make some decisions and we will lose some guys that have provided significant play for us. Can you give me some idea of some of those names that we may be looking at? Well, we already have. I mean, Shedlong is a name that people would look at. He had done things for this team, obviously injured, and I think there was some frustration and kind of the lack of progress, what we didn't see at second base last year as well. So that wasn't a surprise. You know, unfortunately for Shed, he was never the same player after he injured his shin, and I think that's one of those cases of a young player I've got this opportunity here. I'm going to try and play through it where you probably should have addressed that. It would have been more beneficial to address it at the time because he was not able you know, to show what he was with the leg injury. So that is one right there. And then the others, I don't think they're going to be big dramatic names. You know, Bowers obviously had some impact. I think there's some question about Jake Fraley if you're going to see him, uh, if they try and sneak him through waivers. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, look at his second half. You, you know that you have not been able to keep him on the field. You know that when he came back this this time around, he did not put up the, the numbers after the injury. And the defense is very – it's not what I think a lot of people want to believe it is out there. Hmm. And if you look at the metrics, you confidently say Dylan Moore was a better outfielder than Jake Fraley was. Interesting. That's certainly not what my eye saw. Well, but. yes, but you know, let's just go ahead and remember that you see the dramatic plays. A lot of times there's a better route to get to that ball, and you don't have to make that dive. You don't need to crash into a wall. So there's, uh, I think that was the Dave Henderson uh, kind of philosophy right there. You don't see me doing that because I get there. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's one where I kind of have question. And if you look at it, I think that they have a lot of openings on the roster right now. I don't know how much more they have to do. Um, they're at 36 spots right now before adding those players, but I, I think that there are others that will be easy to remove. But uh, what we did see was Sam Haggerty was outrated to AAA. He spent most of the season on the IL. Uh, Darren McCacken was outrighted to AAA. He was on the 40. I, I didn't think that that would be a problem holding on to him. Marcus Wilson, not going to lie, don't know who he is, was outrighted to AAA. He's a big stick. He is a big stick? Yeah. He's a, he's a tools guy. He's got some power to him. They... Acquired him late, didn't they? I believe so. Okay. Um, L.J. Newsom claimed by St. Louis, but I think you can find others to fill the role that L.J. Newsom was uh, fulfilling. Uh, Ryan Weber was outrighted to AAA and elected free agency. So that kind of thing. It's uh, I don't think you will see very many more names that kind of, whoa, that got away. So my big intrigue, and we haven't seen it as yet, would be Fraley and what they do in that situation. Because I'm not sure he makes the team if 
they go with kind of the direction that Jerry Depoto has been talking. This is it. Let's go. You want some deep insight into what uh, what could foreshadow and forecast where the Mariners are going this offseason? Yes. Typically, over the last handful of years, the Mariners have used their roster and the end of their roster, the end of the 40-man roster, to add a lot of different players during the offseason and spring training and just constantly churning with these guys and taking a look, kind of like Pete Carroll and John Schneider did when they first came in with the Seahawks and set records for the number of players. If the Mariners leave open spaces at the end of their roster during the offseason, instead of filling it with those kinds of players, I think that gives you a pretty good idea that they're looking for some serious major league additions and not hoping the guys work out. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Well, they should be because you're now at the point in the rebuild where, and I've said this all along, that this stage, playoffs are a fair expectation. The end. This is it. And we've heard Jerry DePoto say that he has been given the okay to spend money. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how much that is. But you've got to shut the door on the development. We talked with Scott Service about this a couple of weeks ago. It will be competitive in spring training. You know, let's not forget the opportunity that these young players were given, your Shed Longs, your Evan Whites, uh, you know, a lot of your pitchers, even your Justin Dunns and your Justice Sheffields and a lot of your, your bullpen pieces and the outfielders as well. Uh, that was because they were the priority. You are now at the point where spots need to be earned and need to be held on to, and, and it's performance. It's the, what is it, the do-good league, as, as Scott Service likes to say, you are here as long as you do good. And, and there's a nice caveat to all this, because it's not to say that they're not going to then develop players, that players aren't going to end up getting better or supplanting guys that you've added to be veterans on the roster. Great teams normally develop their prospects by this guy proves he's better than the guy in front of him, so now he plays. It's not given the amount of space, and we're going to hand him at-bats because we don't need to win right now, and it's going to be better and speed up his development to get those at-bats. You're still going to develop players by having them sit behind other guys or have to force their way up. Yeah, and it's a different kind of development and learning to force your way up the way that you are. That is an important part, and the more traditional route uh, of how you go about building a team right now. So that should look different, should make for an interesting spring training. But I think that when you look at this club, one of the things that DePoto said in his end-of-the-season press conference that I found of interest was he thinks his bench pieces are already here. That doesn't mean that the players they ended the season with necessarily, but within the entire system that they can open things up to. And I think that when you're talking about a bench, you're talking about three players, right? basically. Yes, and I think that one of the big and important challenges for the Mariners this offseason is going to be how do you get a good outfield fit with what you need? Mm. You need a center fielder right now. Yeah. We're going to get to some of our uh, our priority and rankings of needs for this roster as we uh, get into the meat of this conversation. But you're absolutely right. They've got as many outfielders as they have and as much promise as their outfield has. They've got a serious question to answer in center field. So that's definitely a conversation worth getting into. Uh, let's transition. There's two more things that I want to get to before we get into uh, the meat of it. Like I said, getting into what's potentially out there for the Mariners this offseason. I would love to get some more of your thoughts and insight on the uh, addition of Ken Griffey Jr. to the Mariners ownership group. I think it's great. And I think that any time, and how often have we heard there aren't enough baseball people in the Mariners' front office or in ownership? Well, there it is. There is your baseball person right there. And it's one of those things that if that is something that he is passionate about, 
I, I want him in that group. I want him giving his views uh, about what he sees and his experience with the rest of that group. I, I think it's huge. And uh, I think also just having him still associated with this team. When you look at everything that's gone on since he left it, it would be easy to not do this kind of thing. You, you can still He can still be Ken Griffey Jr. and be in the Mariners Hall of Fame and come out for the All-Star Game celebration and everything else. But taking on ownership is different level, different commitment. And, and I think that says a lot. Overrated, underrated. Ken Griffey Jr.'s impacts on the 2022 Mariners offseason. That's a, oh, wow. Because there is some general, uh, backing it up a little bit, there is some thought that Ken Griffey Jr. coming in could provide the Mariners with a little opportunity. One, for positive press, that heading into a building phase now instead of a rebuilding phase, that adding Ken Griffey Jr. is getting back to what makes the Mariners great. What makes the Mariners stand out and having the big, one of the biggest names in baseball history present and in your building as the face of your franchise and in conversations, the minds of free agents coming in, that that's something that you could have done this for multiple different years, but you do it now in a building phase as opposed to the rebuilding okay, phase. In that sense, I don't think it'll have any impact on free agents or anything like that. Uh, and, and Griffey would be around anyway. Uh, it's been tougher with COVID in that regard. It's good to have him around and good to have him. He, his passion has always been the younger players and sharing his experiences and realizing that they need a hug here and there and, and their trials and tribulations. But I think that in going into ownership, he's uh, taking a step forward. It, it's it's a bigger commitment. It is – I think it's kind of easier to kind of turn your focus to the younger side than it is to what – essentially is the business side of it. And I think that his impact, and I don't think it, when it comes to 22, I don't think it'll be uh, immediate. I, I think it, I think his biggest impact will be is if over the years he gets more involved in it, more passionate about it, and wants a bigger role in the ownership and the directing of where they spend, when they spend, and what they do along those lines. The ambassador thing and being the mariner, that's always been there and it is always going to be there. Now you look for add-on in, in what I was just talking about, but I think that that is going to take time. And But I wonder if you get into a case of Jerry DePoto wants just a little bit more. And we know they have been very strict, the budget, in the past. Would Griffey have the ability to kind of maybe, you know, make another owner feel a little bit better about this kind of decision? And how much do they listen to him if that is something that uh, could happen? So I, I don't, you know, that I think it's going to be minimal. I, I, I think at this point it's just good to know that he wants to be there. He will be a baseball voice with these other voices. And along those lines, I, I think it's a win. And for me, it's just I've known Ken, and I've known that his commitment level has been I don't want to say small because he comes out for everything and he's still very willing to be a, a face of things. But as far as taking on, you know, he's not going to take on a nine to five job with it. But everything he has done has been pretty much at 
my schedule when I have time and what I want to do. On his terms. A lot of former players, former stars that get involved with organizations across sports. That's typically how their involvement, if they want to stay connected, they sort of set out, this is what I'm interested in and what I'm willing to do and go from there. It's very rare outside of managerial or GM-related situations that a former player will then cross over to say, you tell me what you need from me. I will figure out how to work my way into what you do. Right, right. And Dan Wilson and Edgar Martinez right. have done that. They've Absolutely. very much Great done examples. that. Yes. But Junior's got gazillion other, you know, his kids were still kids' age, and he's got a gazillion other interests. And MLB's got some. He's got MLB duties as well. He has a title within Major League Baseball. He's been an ambassador. He, he gets pulled in a lot of def- different directions, but – as an owner, there are things that you have to do, you have to be present for, and you have to be informed on. So that is a different commitment level right there. Going from a former star to a current star, one that probably has dominated our conversations more than any player over the last three years, Mitch Haniger, seemingly out of nowhere, comes out with a Players' Tribune article. You've read through it. I've read through it probably 12 times. I would love to start here. What was your reaction when you read this? Did you see this coming at all? No, and my my first kind of raw reaction to it was, oh, heck yeah, go Mitch, he's our champion, which is what they have said before, and this is the leadership that you want to see and run through the wall. You know, that was the immediate. And then I got a little bit more realistic about it, and the Players' Tribune is often a, a vehicle for players not to get out just their thoughts, but also their agendas that can be there with these things. It's, it's part of the reason why Derek Jeter's group created this, is to unfiltered, give athletes access to get their message and their voice out. That's the fundamental reason why the Players' Tribune was founded in the first place. So, yeah, absolutely, continue. And and to me, then I got, oh, am I going to get cynical about this? And I, I hope not, and <laughs> I did a little bit, but I think there's a realism that has to come with that. You know, what was the motive behind this? But in the end, uh, it, it was great to see him take that kind of leadership, take that Initiative. Now, I don't know, you know, did his agent say this would be a good idea to do this? You're going to be a free agent in a year. Uh, you know, let, let's get this side of you out there. It, it's, you know, this will benefit you, possibly. But it was also pure Mitch Hanniger. What you read in that was, and we've talked about before, when you get into a conversation with him or if you can take an interview into a place where uh, on a subject that he is passionate about, it all comes out like you just saw right there. And uh, that is so that very authentic, very genuine. And the fact that it wasn't a call out to ownership, but it was uh, an affirmation. Yeah, let's we, we better be doing this. It was. I, I absolutely read it that way. I didn't read it. So I know a lot of people did read it as a continuation of some of the discontent that was spoken about at the trade deadline from the players. I didn't read it that way. I read this as, I believe in this group that we have. I like my role in what I do with this team, and I am ready to be the person who stands out and says, I will take us to the next level, and I want you guys to be here with me, Seattle Mariners. That's how I read what he said, and I think that that's a valuable piece. And I, I'm I actually more encouraged by uh, Jerry Depoto's response to his article. Uh, he joined the Mike Salk show for his weekly appearance. Um, 
basically, I think two days later, the next day, potentially, he had a couple of really interesting things to say. Here was his response when Mike asked him what his reaction was to that piece. I did. I loved it. Uh, immediately sent him a text. And, and yeah, anything that, that is well thought out, that is heartfelt like that, I believe was heartfelt. Uh, that did not come in 30 seconds of reaction or, or, you know, emotionality. That was a well thought out from the heart piece. And, and I thought it was incredibly well done. And I thought Mitch gave us a little window into the way he thinks or where his mind is right now. And, and I thought it was refreshing. And, and, you know, I, I sent him a simple text. Amazing. You know, I, I thought it was really well done and, and it hit the heart. And I agree with him, frankly, on, on almost everything he said. In response to the trade deadline criticisms he got, Jerry DePoto's reaction was to defend and explain why he made his decisions. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a, a good thing to do and a good way to respond to those criticisms. In response to this piece, which some people took as critical of the organization or putting them in spotlight, Jerry DePoto's response was to do two things. One, let everyone know that I am in communication with Mitch Haniger and I have a relationship with him that I could at least text him, which is something that people pointed to with Kyle Seeger and I've never spoken to Jerry in three years kind of thing. So there's that element of it. On the other hand, this is Jerry DePoto making this all about Mitch Haniger and saying, I'm not going to defend anything here. Mitch Haniger is right. Mitch Haniger is the leader. This is the guy. This is great. And I support Mitch Haniger. To me, there was a lot of value in that. Why wouldn't he? Wouldn't you want that in your clubhouse? That is rare. What? And again, he said it was heartfelt, and that's what I said. This is genuine Mitch Haniger, regardless of what the motivation was. And it wasn't one. I'm sure it was not 100% one thing or the other. And, you know, mostly, hey, this is me. I'm putting it out there. This is us. And, you know, the good, it's funny because I was on vacation when this came out and I wasn't aware that that was how, because everything that I saw on Twitter at the time was, yeah, heck yeah, go Mitch and whatnot. I didn't know that there was that much, is this pointing to the trade deadline stuff? I think it was um, more of a, this is who we are. And I think it was... You don't hear what really jumped out at me from that was a, you know, 99% of leaders will always say, I just want to lead by example. You don't have the guy that plants the flag and this is what we're doing. You just don't. So that's rare. It's fantastic. And if it's the right person and this is, you know, of course, Jerry is going to want that. Um, But when you, when he came out and didn't just, address his team and his organization and put everybody else on notice, you know, explicitly and to the rest of the league. I don't think I've seen that before in baseball. I mean, that's not just a bat flip. That is, that's not just Cole Urban mouthing off and maybe some of it was rooted in that. You know, we've had enough. We're ready to win. I'm here for another year at least. This is how we're going to do it. Look out. So why do that? Why make that statement at the end? Because this is not a reporter writing an article. This is him. He has full editorial control over this. Before this gets published, and he has an editor that the Players' Tribune uses, he has final say over how this thing is printed and what it looks like. So why end with that piece? I have two ideas. Would love to know yours. And that knocks out a lot of my cynicism about why that would be written. Because you wouldn't put that in it. You wouldn't. He's putting it out there. 
the reasons why there are two reasons why I think you can put that out there. One is maybe the less generous one, which would be to say, I'm just letting people know that I'm confident and I'm here and I'm going to make a stand and I want the spotlight. That's not to me anything I understand about Mitch Haniger in his entire career and his complete unwillingness to put himself in the spotlight or to take the shadow, the spotlight away from anyone. He's never once done that in his career that I can remember. He, he, he avoids interviews as much as he can because he wants to be focused. And like you said, let his play speak for itself. Number two, the reason that I actually think he did this, and this is the most hopeful, most exciting thing about that article, Mitch Haniger knows how difficult it's going to be for the Seattle Mariners to get stars to come here and be convinced that they are going to actually turn the page and actually be a winner. And the Mariners have consistently needed to overpay to get people here, and they may have had to make sacrifices on the kinds of players they wanted to get because, frankly, they're just getting turned down by some of the players that would be ideal fits. Mitch Haniger, I hope, understands that reality and wants people to know there's something worth it here. And I want you, star free agent player, guy who may be approached about being traded from your team to the Seattle Mariners, I want you to know you're not coming into this perception of what the Seattle Mariners have been. You are coming into a brand new thing, a new start, a new beginning, a path that is worth being a part of. We are on the rise and we are coming for you. And you can be a part of this and not just collect a paycheck to lose games. I think if that's where he's coming from, which I believe it is, that is more valuable than anything that can be written about this ball club this offseason. It's one heck of a PR piece by your player. But you know what? I love how he takes it into his own hands. He's not sitting waiting to see what happens. Who wouldn't want to come and play with Mitch Haniger? And now the next step. Where does that put the Seattle Mariners and their relationship with Mitch Haniger? We spent a lot of time talking in our last podcast about the potential of re-signing Mitch Haniger and how much of a priority should it be. Uh, Jerry DePoto went on to speak a little bit more about what he thinks about the future of Mitch Haniger. And if you if you go back and listen to a lot of the different times that Jerry has spoken about Mitch Haniger, there's been a lot of up in the air, you know, it takes two to tango kind of language and understanding that's been spoken about their relationship. Here's what Jerry DePoto had to say about whether he believes Mitch Haniger wants to be a Mariner in the long term. I've never not had hope that Mitch wants to be here long term. I believe that, that he enjoys playing here. I know he loves the city, and I know he loves his teammates. This is a you know it's a very close team emotionally. And I if I did have a sense as to whether an extension was possible, I wouldn't air it on the radio this morning. But I I've always had the belief that this is where Mitch wants to be, and and if that works out and we're able to come together on it somewhere down the road, then then that'll be a wonderful outcome for both of us. That strikes me as they're they're ready. The Mariners are ready to have these conversations, and they believe Mitch Haniger might be too. How do you read the situation? Well, they've wanted to extend a lot of their own players. And outside of Evan White, we haven't really seen that. You know, that that's a job within itself. And, uh, you know, Mike Zanino was somebody that they wanted to extend before they traded and were not able to do so. Uh, there have been extensions that have been offered to other players, some public, some not, and they just they haven't, you know, the player more than likely is going to bet on himself quite often. I, I know that uh, there has been interest in Mitch before the 2019 season in extending him, and obviously they did not come to any kind of agreement right there. 
I don't know, you know, if that was a cry for an extension in any way from Mitch. Of course you go after that. I've been saying that for a little while now in that, yeah, I, I think that this is a player that definitely fits into this group. I, I don't think age is as much of a factor as, as most will look at him, that he is going to be 31 next season, but he's a different 31. His injuries have been of the unfortunate kind of just freak accident variety for the most part. He hasn't broken down in, in you know playing the game. He's gotten hit by baseballs. He's been you know hit you know in the face. He was around it, just a lot of different things have happened to him, and that's why he hasn't played. Uh, and he keeps himself in just ridiculous shape and is trying. He's trying to stay ahead of the game. And that I, he put out something on on social media about a week ago, and it was a machine that helps with cell regeneration or something that he uses in the offseason. It's not, you know, quite the hyperbaric chamber or whatever. Ichiro had one put in toward the end of his go-around with the Mariners. Uh, he, he's ahead of the curve, so I, I don't think he's going to age like most ball players do. I, I think he is so invested in what he does physically. He reminds me of Nelson Cruz. And Nelson is 10 years older, so Mitch has got a, a long way to go. And just how he chases all of that, why why not try and extend him? And what would that price be? I don't know, but he's worth a lot. And if he is going to lead this clubhouse, then that's an added benefit right there. So uh, I forgot what the original question was. No, that, I think that's great. I think, I think it answers the question sufficiently. If you are able to, let's live in a world as we enter this uh, final part of the conversation, what could be out there for the Mariners this offseason? And this is a longer conversation. We'll have some more of this in the future as things go on, and we're going to have a nice baseball work stoppage, I'm predicting, so we'll have a lot of time to talk about what could happen <laughs> with the Mariners' free agents and trade uh, prospects. And two weeks to get it all done. <laughs> yeah, Yay! So uh, we will, uh, we'll, we'll have some time to have a long conversation about that. But let's live in a world where the Mariners – smooth things out and have a long-term future with Mitch Hanniger. They get an extension done there. They're in perfect shape with J.P. Crawford, whether that means they give him an extension right now or he's just happy where he is, and they've got those two things locked down. Your two front-line leaders on the field, off the field, that's finished. What do the Mariners do next? Well, obviously you need another middle infielder or third baseman. You know, are you going for one of the, the prized shortstop free agents? And I saw what Buster Olney did when I was on vacation. I don't agree with him saying and ranking the what he did. I think there are two that are realistic for them. Uh, I believe he had Corey Seager as the number one target. Corey Seager's not coming to Seattle. No. But he, he wasn't the target that was listed to Seattle. The Mariners were linked to it, but he wasn't like, this is the guy that the Mariners are going to get from Buster Olney. I thought he had him ranked as the number one of the shortstops. The number one available, but not like the one that the Mariners are going to get. Well, no. Okay, well, there are two total, totally different things there. Yeah. But, he, but he did have them. This is on the list of the five shortstops that the Mariners are interested in. Yeah. And he's not, because he's not coming here. So, yeah. you know, take that off of the list right there. Yeah. Carlos Correa is not going to play second base. No. So take him off Buster's list, too. That's <laughs> yeah. not happening yes. either. <laughs> you know, what are we doing here? Uh, I, I think the two names that they'll be looking at will be Story and Simeon. And Story is somebody that they have liked for a long, long time. And Simeon, obviously, is, you know, I, I think, I don't know this for a fact, he would be my number one target. Interesting. As Interesting. far as a realistic type target goes. But his market, 
is uh, probably you know, obviously going to be a lot higher than anybody expects. Do but think, he is a West Coast guy that yeah. prefers to be on the West Coast. Do you think the Trevor Story is going to be willing to move to third or second right off the bat? Probably. You think so? Yeah. You're not moving J.P. Crawford. No, you're not. And that's why I'm I'm sort of out on this conversation in the first place about shortstops in the, the whole market that's out there. And maybe I'm just living in a different world, in an unrealistic world, but to me... The, the place to look for the long-term answer is at, is at third base. And whether that's in the trade market or the free agent market, I think that there's one clear candidate when I hear Jerry DePoto talk about the kind of player that they're looking for that checks every single boxes and probably double-checks him with a Sharpie, and it's Chris Bryan. Now, there's a lot of prevailing thought that he's going to re-sign with San Francisco. What I've seen and heard is that San Francisco's got some other decisions they need to make, and they're not sure if they're going to make Chris Bryant the number one priority of their offseason. And if that's not the case, you, as, as the Mariners, a guy who plays first, third, the corner outfielder, center, center in a pinch, he is the guy that he defines what you're looking for. Playoff experience, youngish, West Coast guy, high school in Nevada, uh, went to college in San Diego. He played for a championship team that went from nothing to something and broke a curse. I mean, everything that you want from a guy is right there. And he plays the position that you're going to ask him to play. You don't need to move him anywhere to make it happen. You don't have to convince a premier free agent to change positions to come to the Seattle Mariners. To me, there's one guy out there that is... He should be one of ones, and I think he might be one of ones in the targets of what they're looking for. Well, he was at the trade deadline. Interesting. I had heard something similar. I had heard similarly that Chris Bryant was very high on the Mariners' wish list at the trade deadline and that they did some work to to get down that path. I don't know anything more than that, but that's a, that's an interesting tidbit if you then look at the market and what's out there and what's available. Okay, I don't know if he was one of one, but they went in heavy on that. And that's valuable. It is valuable in that, obviously, they like him, and they didn't go in heavy enough. And I'm st- I still don't know, you know, when we talked about this at the time, I thought what could get them a big player would be kind of their second tiers, their, their Williamsons along those lines. And were they willing? And I, I would think they would be willing to go there. I don't know. I don't know along those lines. But trade deadline and a long-term hundreds of millions of dollar contract are two totally different things. Right. So, you know, he was available. Maybe their number one target was not available at the deadline. Now, so I would personally rather, if you're going to get a star like him and then pay him money, I'd rather just pay him money than give up prospects and pay him money. <laughs> like, if you were going to tell me that I was going to get Chris Bryant for, you know, uh, Brandon Williamson and uh, future first-round pick or a bunch of slot money or whatever, and then pay him whatever you're about to pay him, I'd much rather be able to win him on the free agent market if I can win that bidding battle. And to me, I think it's worth it. I I would personally build something around like a Trevor Bauer type package that has two really high value years at the beginning with a player out and say, we're going to prove to you that this works and this is worth it to you. And just pay more in the first two years than anybody. Let's say you do lock up J.P. Crawford. Let's say that you can get Marcus Simeon. Let's say that one of those things doesn't happen and you still believe that Noel V. Marte is a year, year and a half away. Does that change your thoughts on Chris Bryant? It's it's a hard it's a hard conversation for me. I personally would rather be in the position of 
having to make a decision about Noel B. Marte when he fully realizes, as he is realizing his potential and just blowing people away at every level. But I'd like to deal with the situation where I've got somebody I trust at the major league level at every position he could play and then figure out what to do from there instead of trying to make that decision now and project that that's going to happen. Let's say you can trade for someone else that can hold down third base for a year or two. More than hold down third base for a year or two. That's a a secondary. I would rather have somebody now that I can build around than a piece that I'll eventually replace, if that makes sense. If If I got to choose. Now, I no matter what, I want them to improve at that position in the infield. Absolutely. But if... If they can, if they can find a way to force that problem down the road without having to move on from Noelvi, and by getting a cornerstone piece right now, I take that option absolutely. Who's the name you have in mind? You're, you, you've got me speaking so fast because I'm so excited to hear what you have to say, but I want to get that out. Who is it? Who do you want? Maybe we talk about that off air. Ooh, oh, maybe we let folks oh. kick it around a little bit. Yeah, you're gonna have. That's a great tease. You have to watch it. Watch. You have to listen to the next episode to find out who it is that could be the short-term option that pit, that bridges the gap between Kyle Seeger and uh, and Noel V. Marte. I like that. Why don't we do that and find a center fielder next time? Okay, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs>